Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I am the Irredeemable Shag, one of your hosts. Here with me today is my co-host, Mr. Rob Kelly. Howdy, Shag. Hi, man. How's it going? Very good. I'm very happy to be here and on this very, very special occasion. It is It is very special. So, almost growing pains, 80s style, very special. <laughs> We're all going to sit down and have an important conversation later. So, we are starting our very first episode covering uh, a comic book series that is near and dear to Rob and I's heart. Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. This was a tw- massive 26-issue series starting in 1985 that ran through, I guess, 87, that took the ambitious project of covering not necessarily every character in the DC Universe, but at least all the major or noteworthy characters of the DC Universe. Rob and I, just just so you know, Rob and I actually host another podcast called the Fire and Water Podcast. It is, uh, it's a podcast featuring Firestorm and Aquaman. And we've been talking about doing this Who's Who podcast for a long time. So we decided the best way to do is just jump in. We're putting it uh, in the feed for uh, the RSS feed for Fire and Water. So if you're a regular Fire and Water listener, you might be scratching your head, what is this? Or if you are new to this podcast, then maybe after you're done here, you might want to check out the Fire and Water podcast. And uh, before Shag moves on, I want to, point, I want to mention something. I, I, I made a bet with Shag <laughs> that, <laughs> that – uh, as niche as our uh, original show, the Fire and Water podcast is, this show is even nicher. So, <laughs> Shag believes this uh, podcast has a, a better, a greater, has a chance of being even more popular than the Fire and Water. And I say he's crazy. So we will find out within a couple of episodes, vis-a-vis how many downloads each show gets, whether Shag is right or I'm right, or, or I am right. If if I'm if I'm wrong, I will admit it on the show. But I don't think I am. <laughs> I think everyone I think everyone who listens to this already is familiar with Fire and Water. I I don't know because I think there's going to be a huge influx of <laughs> airwave fans. <laughs> who That's right. Just aren't getting their fix online. You know, they're like, where where do I go? Well, where do I go for airwave information? I, How do I know that Hal Jordan is not a Green Lantern, but is actually airwave? I, what do I do? I believe there is that entire airwave block of programming on the XM channel. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's right after Howard Stern, I think. I, I think it is. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, folks, you know why we're here. We're excited. It's uh, 26 issues, and we're going to go, yeah, you guessed it, issue by issue. Page by page. <laughs> We're not kidding. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this is a labor of love, folks. It really is. And we hope you enjoy the journey with us. If you happen to own Who's Who, crack them out. Flip through them as we're going through it. It might bring back some memories. Oh, you're going to have to. You're going to have to. 
because well, it's, you're going to want to. You're going to want to. Well, I see. You're even going to have to because we're going to be talking about art and stuff like that, and without having a visual thing to to to, to go along with it, I think this might not be. You know, Ooh, <laughs> I've got the hook. So here, here's what's going to make him do it. When we start talking, when we get to D, when we talk about Dave Stevens' drawing of dolphin. There you go. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. hmm, maybe we'll have to maybe find some more. Find a good example of TNA before we get to that, so we don't have to wait all the way to the D's. <laughs> um, one thing I guess we should mention in case Shay doesn't uh, get around to it. Um, we actually were – when we originally conceived the Fire and Water podcast, we were going to make the Who's Who segment a regular part of the show. Um, and in our now uh, lost the, the ages uh, first episode of the – first take of the first episode of the Fire and Water, we did have Who's Who at, as the – you know. F- and the backup feature, let's call it. Um, but we realized that because we were gabbing on so mightily in the main part of the show, we kind of felt that the Who's Who segment got short shrift because we were sort of like rushing through it because we just realized that our first episode was like cracking the two and a half hour mark or something. <laughs> and we realized that we love Who's Who too much to do that to it. you know. So we decided, okay, it's going to be its own thing. And, of course, that took forever for us to sit down and be able to – to, to do this, so so that's how much we love Huzu. Is it, 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 it we're giving it its own show? Absolutely. Yeah, you know something we haven't else we haven't mentioned for new listeners. Uh, we mentioned the Fire and Water podcast several times now. Uh, the Fire and Water podcast is actually an extension of our blogs. Uh, I happen to run the FirestormFan dot com blog, and Rob runs the Aquaman Shrine dot com blog. So there, there is some uh, internet presence for. Fire and water as well. Yes, this is this show is an extension of an extension. <laughs> it's like at Christmas or, or, or behind your computer. Actually, just look behind your computer right now, folks. You've probably got too many extension cords plugged in there, and that's what this really is. Just too many extensions. I, li- I like to think of this as good times. Good times is a spinoff of Maud, which was a spinoff of All in the Family. There it is. Very well done, sir. Very well done. <laughs> the most dated reference I possibly could have made. Hey, I am consistently talking about Mark and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley and Joni Loves Chachi as examples to people. So, we, well, I guess we've talked about the fact that we love this series, but I just, for me, this series represents so much. Uh, I don't know about you, Rob, but this thing came to me at just the right time. Yep. I, I was just getting into DC Comics. Uh, I had been buying, um, you know, a couple comics here and there. I'd had a few JLA issues. I owned um, some Firestorm issues. But I wasn't knee deep in the DC universe. But th- this thing came along, and you know, it explained so much for me. You know, so many of the characters I had didn't had no idea about. My first issue was the Green Lantern issue. Uh, we were in a situation where our house was being worked on. We were staying in a hotel, and my mom wanted to keep me occupied. You know, so she she said, "You need to buy some stuff that's going to take you a while to read." And so one issue of Who's Who. It's like, you know, to a 12-year-old, it's like a week's worth of reading, you know. <laughs> so uh, I spent a tremendous amount of time just pouring over every page. And it, it really, again, helped me understand the DC Universe. It helped me connect with characters. It also skewed my perceptions some, which is kind of funny. Like, I knew quite a bit about old DC characters that none of my friends did who weren't reading it. So here's a real-world example. When, when I was reading Flash, this is post-crisis. Issue, oh, I don't know, 47, 48, somewhere in that realm. So this is, this is into the 90s, really. Um, there's, this, there's an issue where all these gorillas go run wild. And at the very end of the comic, this white, just giant white dog shows up. And the dog can talk, or at least animal talk. 
And he says, my name is Rex. I'm here to help. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, it's Rex the Wonder Dog. You know, he got a half-page entry in one issue of Who's Who. And that was probably the only time he appeared for, I don't know, 30 years probably. I, I, I don't know. Did you just say he got a half-page? Wasn't it a half-page? It's a full page. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, I, I didn't He had prep. his own series. I didn't prep for the R issue of Who's Who yet, okay? Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I D- thought it was half-page, whatever. Knew, DC knew who to give respect to. The guy had his own series. You're such a nerd. Anyway, um... So I was, you know, I was so excited. It's like, oh my gosh, it's Rex the Wonder Dog, you know? And, and I'm in the comic shop talking to people, and they're all looking at me like, what in the hell are you talking about? I'm like, it, well, it's Rex. You know, everybody knows Rex, right? And no one had an idea what I was talking about. And uh, obviously, who's who sort of warped my perceptions of the DC universe, you know? I I didn't understand why no one knew who Anthro was, you know? So there's a whole bunch of... Billion, like, you know, the fact that I knew Hal Jordan was Airwave 2, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of stuff that people just didn't know. But uh, I mean, it was a good sort of warping. How did, how did you come across Who's It, Rob? Uh, I came at it a little bit of a, from a different angle. I mean, I was certainly a DC kid pretty much from the beginning. So by the time I got to Who's Who, I was already pretty steeped in the universe. But um, the series first came out, the first issue debuted in, um, it's covered in March 1985, which means it went on sale in December of 1984, um, I had just basically started shopping at comic stores, you know, comic specialty stores, um, pretty much like a year after that, a year before that, um, to, to people, you know, younger than Shag and I, which is virtually everybody, um, <laughs> you know, you, you bought comics at like newsstands and, and 7-Elevens, this place like a comic shops were still a bit of a rarity. It's, it's what the it's what the kids call the spinner racks. Exactly, and um, that'd be a great subtitle for a book. Um, but uh, um, you know, when I started going to comic shops, this was the first time I ever got to see something called back issues. You know, which was, you know, for, for to, to somebody who just read comics month to month, and you know, only, whose memory only extended back to as far as he could remember what issue he bought at Seven Eleven. All of a sudden, seeing a store filled with you know. 30 to 40 years worth of old comics was like, you know, you know, like indie finding the arc. I mean, you just couldn't believe it. So this was, you know, here, here was DC's attempt at giving me a guide to all those stories, you know, um, all these characters that I'd never heard of or only vaguely seen mentioned once or twice. And here was, you know, it was, it was like giving me a key to all those books that I wanted to read because, you know, when I was in a comic store and I had extra money to spend, which was rare, but when I did, I literally couldn't decide what books I wanted to buy because there was just so many, you know what I mean? It's just like, Oh, do I want to paralyzing? Yeah. I mean, do I want to get an issue of justice league, which I know I'll love, or do I want to try something different? Oh, what's this book? You know what I mean? So it was, it was that kind of thing. And so, Who's who introduced me to was 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 a gateway to all that, and then on a completely separate note, um, the artwork, uh, the artwork used in Who's Who is to me some of the best comic art that's ever been put together between two covers. DC really, especially in later issues, kind of went outside the box and and hired some really interesting people that had in many ways in in, in many instances never done anything for DC before, and really put a focus on the artwork and to at the age that I was when that series came out which was in around 13 or 14 I was just basically starting to cement the idea that I wanted to be an artist for a living and here was a book celebrating the art you know like really putting a focus on the art and it 
it, it you know as much as I love the series for its literary content, I, I love it more for the art because I just look at some of these pages and I just think God, they're just such beautiful representations of you know the bizarreness and the craziness and the joy that is the DC universe and um, you know it, it it probably really helped develop my artistic interest in comic books is, is seeing some of this uh, absolutely you know remarkable stuff and it was one of the reasons why I was not interested as much in Marvel's version which was called the official handbook to the Marvel Universe by Marvel's own admission that was done as more uh, almost like a game guide and where mm-hmm. like all the characters are in the same pose the poses are front side and back it's very you know wrote every every entry looks the same and to me I was just utterly bored by that presentation I like the idea that DC didn't have that you know it was like no let's be crazy let's you know Let's give some people half pages, give some people quarter pages, let's give some people two pages. You know, I just like the inconsistency of it. We've mentioned on Fire and Water Podcast that, like, how, you know, in, in historically, Marvel has had a house style and DC has not. And that extended into who's who. You know, Marvel had a house style for their character guide and DC did not. And that's just always been something that's appealed to me. So so who's who just hit my sweet spot in, 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 an, <laughs> in a number of ways. Well, there's, there's so many little things too. I mean, like it's it's not just the, the amazing artists, but like they actually had folks who were designing logos yep. for every single yep. character. Yep. So you got that. It's one of my favorite things. I love to bring up is, and I don't know this was in every issue as it kept going, but at least in the first issue, there's a pronunciation glossary. Yes, I love, I that, love that. Yep. We we all wanted to know how to pronounce Dark Side. <laughs> <laughs> I remember playground arguments. Dark Seed. No, it's not. No, it's Dark Side. No, that's Star Wars. You know, just things like that. Uh, and then you had the, the text pieces. And, and frankly, you know, I wasn't paying attention to pretty much anything you said. So if you already said this, I apologize. Uh, you know, the folks who were writing the entries. You know, you've got Len Wein, Mark Wolfman. Mark Marv Wolfman. Wow, that's a tongue twister, apparently. Uh, Robert Greenberger. I mean, there's all these folks. E. Nelson Bridewell that were deeply steeped in the comic book world were helping to write these entries, you know? So you had people who really know what they're talking about. Anyway, the way the, the, the show, the format's going to work, we're basically just going to do one issue per show. And we're just going to go through it page by page and just have, you know, just our comments about each of the listings. Some, you know, like the listings themselves, some will inspire more comments than others. It's, it's not meant to uh, be, uh, you know, we're going to give every listing the same amount of time. That's That's not what it's about. It's really more just sort of our feelings about any of the given listings. So um, I'm not going to add the little boop sound effect every time we turn the page. <laughs> that's very annoying. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Well, so, uh, my, my, goal, my goal is to make sure that they don't have to have the comic in front of them as they go through this. You know, sure, it will enhance your experience. Oh, boy. And, I, and we're going to recommend it. But I, I don't. I don't. I don't want someone to feel like they have to. So if they're driving in their car, trying to flip through their comic and get in a car accident or something. Yeah. Well, I pull over to the road and read the Who's Who that way. But okay. <laughs> and just to give a little more background on Who's Who, I mean, th- as we said, this is 26 issues. After that, there were two subsequent updates: Who's Who 87 and Who's Who 88. Yeah. And then there was, you know, so that's another eight issues there between those two, I, I believe. believe. Then there was this, the loose leaf version. And then there's, you know, who's who in the Legion and who's who in Star Trek. So, I mean, we, we, we can keep this going for a long time. You know what? We're going to commit now. We're going we're gonna to get to who's who in Star Trek. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as many of you can tell how long we've been promising 
doing these Hootsu <laughs> shows at the rate we're going, we will actually be in the 23rd century by the time we get to Hootsu. <laughs> but I'll do my Shatner impersonation. Oh, they have that to look forward to. <laughs> Yay. If you're going to do it as Shatner, I'm going to do the whole show as um, old McCoy from the first episode of Next Gen. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> She'll always bring you home. That's right. <laughs> What's this listing about Apollo, boy? <laughs> Aww. I know. I know. It makes me so sad to think. I know. It's like now I'm depressed. Old, old bones. <laughs> anyway, let's get started. <laughs> on who's who? All right, here we go. Um, let's say the first issue of Who's Who, cover dated March 1985, features uh, the first. Uh, well, first, you know, it sets the the tone and the format. It lists the characters that will appear in the book right on the cover. Um, I had always heard a rumor that that by listing them. By putting them all on the cover and listing them on the cover by their names, it renewed like copyrights in some arcane fashion, which is part of the reason why they did it, as opposed to putting the names on the inside. So huh. I don't know whether that's true or not. I'll have to look into that. But anyway, it features uh, another staple of the book, which is the wraparound cover. In this case, mm. it's by George Perez, who, you know, I mean, if you're going to get a bunch of characters in a big group, you call George Perez. Um, <laughs> and it also features, you know, basically the the, the cover format, which is... The main character, ostensibly the most big name, the biggest name character of that issue, gets the, the the lion's share of the cover, of the front cover. And in this case, of course, since we're in volume one and we're in the A's, that would be Aquaman. So you've got to... Yawn. You know, we're doing a different podcast. You could work out some different jokes, Shank. Um, hey, you know what? Actually, you know, in honor of this issue of Who's Who, I am drinking out of... A Pepsi Collector Series glass from 1978 featuring the King of the Seven Seas. Oh, I think those are those lead-based ones, so this will get fun. Um, so anyway, <laughs> by the end, you'll just be like, hur, 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 hur. You, almost, you almost made me spit Dime out and do all of my who's who. Oh, good. Well, then you got to get another copy and you'll drive the price up. Um, so anyway, you see uh, Aquaman on the cover, and then right behind, right next to him is the Adam, who you could argue is kind of like the second biggest name. And then you go wrap around, and you see all the, the, all the various characters. And the, one of the, the fun things about these covers is that the characters are interacting. It's not, they're not, it's not a poster where they're all just sort of separate portraits of each other. They're interacting. I mean, it's loose because you have some you know, dealings with sort of the perspectives and stuff. But you've got, you know, like, uh, Iraq, Son of Thunder, and Anthro, you know, watching Arion shoot a laser beam, and you've got Abracadabra fighting Alley Cat Abra. And so, you know, it's... it's, And then you've got the, impishly in the corner behind the DC logo was Ambush Bug. So, you know, it's it's great to just see them like it's a big party and they're all invited. So it, mm-hmm. to me, that was part of the, again, of the fun of this book was like, it, it just seemed like DC was throwing a housewarming party, inviting all their characters over, you know, oh, yeah. and here they are. Weren't. Although, of course, some important characters were not invited, but we'll get into that later on. Um, and and there, it's actually interesting, the alphabetical format actually limited them to some respects where, the, you know, if they forgot an A character or introduced a new A character or be perfect example, Booster Gold. They introduced Booster Gold when they were on, like, I don't know, the tease or something. Like, uh-oh, we can't go back and insert him. So that became an issue for them to deal with later. Right. We I just want to comment on the covers, though. I mean, you're absolutely right. The covers are gorgeous. They got great artists every time. This one, like you said, George Perez, they got, you know, a lot of Paris Cullen's covers. They got John Byrne covers. I mean, it's oh, – I, mean, I, I wish you could get, like, a poster book or something of these covers. That would be cool. That would be cool. And so on the inside – there's an editorial by Marv Wolfman. Marv Wolfman. 
Marv Shut. Wolfman and Shut up. and Len Wein, which gives them uh, gives a kind of a background on, on DC and talks about um, sort of the um, the modus operandi of the series in terms of which she, there's a there's a particular point about talking about that they're not going to give specific uh, power limits to their characters because they feel that that's more fun to to make it loose, which to me felt like a shot across the bow at Marvel Comics because Marvel was doing exactly that. You know, oh, that, absolutely. I mean, Marvel Universe was first, right. so they they absolutely had to sort of defend themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, Marvel was first technically. But, uh, I mean, the old story about that was that Marvel, DC had had this in the works for many years, and then Marvel got wind of it and kind of rushed out their version first. Oh. Uh, you know, which, you know, to, to this DC kid, I was always sick of Marvel stealing DC's thunder with, to me, was like an inferior product. But that's a whole other, you know. There's, there's a history of that. Happened with the role-playing game, too. Yeah, so. right. Exactly. Um, didn't, didn't DC hire a guy? You know, Michael Bailey from Fusion of Long Box and Two True Freaks and, and JSA, all st- he knows, he's in a million podcasts, a good friend of mine. He, I think he knows the answer to this, but um, didn't DC hire a guy to like go through all of their comic books and make notes of who appeared and what issues, and eventually uh, some of that became the framework for this? I think that was Peter Sanderson, but I could be wrong. I should look into that. But yeah, they did. They did. I mean, man, <laughs> to, to some people... That sounds like the greatest job in the history of the universe. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> to some people, they probably want to kill themselves. But I think to, to someone like to guys like us, it's like, where do I get, can I get that job? Oh my gosh, I would die. I'd read police comics. I don't care. Oh sure. Oh my god. And you know, I'd play favorites because I'd be like, you know, I think we need to give more uh, space to the old. Uh, Gangster series, Gangbusters. <laughs> DC would be like, "Stop bringing up Gangbusters. We're not going to do it." <laughs> so, so anyway, I said we'll just start on the first page here. The first page, the first listing, the first book is Abel, which is a character from the House of Secrets. He was the host of that anthology mystery title. He was, which was sort of the sister title to the House of Mystery, which starred, of course, Kane. You've got Kane and Abel. Um, here, the listing is drawn by Joe Orlando, which again, right off the bat. You know, I think they're, DC's establishing sort of what they're going to do with this series. Joe Orlando was a classic artist, drew comics since the, uh, I think, maybe even the 40s, but definitely the 50s. He was part of the EC stable, and he was their horror guy. He edited a lot of DC's horror books. It was perfect that he drew the first listing when it's one of their horror characters. And it features Abel in front of a grave for the House of Secrets. And then in the background is a bunch of spooky images. You see the House of Secrets. You see some ghosts. You see some bats. And... Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the series, the style is the logo of the character and the main character. The main character drawing is in, you know, is is in black ink lines and then full color. And then the background images are a monochromatic color hold, which is basically just white and one color, which really gave to me the, each listing a you know kind of like gallery posterish feel um, because you had you know the the background set off against the foreground. I just thought it was a great, it was just a beautiful look. And I think it was a great idea to, to, to do the books this way. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it looks like it's, it's a great looking piece. Oh, it's gorgeous. I, I also, I can't help but snicker. You know, the first entry, the, the background monochromatic color is that awful garish eighties pink that was so prevalent in DC comics at the time where they, they had this really strong magenta pink color that would shine through all the time on stuff. But, uh, 
I just personally find that funny. But uh, I also like how Kane, I'm sorry, Abel is holding a book, which is you know sort of a trademark of the series of his series. But the book says who's who on the cover. Right. That's great. Yeah, I mean, Who's Who definitely had a sense of humor about itself, and we can get into that in later issues, uh, later podcasts, which are, again, 10, 15 years down the line. But, uh, <laughs> you know, again, while the Marvel series was, like, very dry and very serious, the DC one was kind of impish and, and at times made fun of itself. So, again, we can get to that um, later on. I mean, the Marvel one, you're right. I mean, it's and, and this is going to take a shot at the Marvel one, and sorry, folks, some of y'all I know may feel pretty strongly about the Marvel one, but it, it always read so... Um, Textbooky, to me, you yeah, know, like, it reads like this, a manual. Yeah, this happened, and 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 it's almost like someone wrote an entry and then just kept adding stuff yeah. as as stuff happened. And whereas here, it just tells a little brief story. You get, um, you get their. And I hope I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes. I mean, you get the beautiful drawing, then you get their personal data. You know, you get their name, their occupation, marital status, known relatives, that kind of stuff. Their first appearance, height, all that. Then you get the history, which is a little story I mentioned, and then you get a powers and weapons, which talks about you know their abilities. And it's all smack on one page, fits beautifully. You get, I mean, it's probably three quarters of the page is typically the image, and the text, you know, depending on the character, is the other quarter of the page. Right, and and they ran into some problems with that with that ratio later on. Again, we can get to that later on when we go, because um, at the rate we're going, you know, this is going to be a four hour episode. So, uh, <laughs> we're, just, uh, we're we're setting the tone. And, and, and the B on Abel's got this cute. That was the same excuse George Lucas used for the Phantom Menace, and you see how that turned out. Bite your tongue, sir. <laughs> you just compared me to the neck. Anyway, uh, but I like the little slime creature on the bee. On, a, on yeah, the yeah, no. Look <laughs> at these cute little eyes. By the way, a little trivia about Abel. He, character-wise, was basically visually referenced off of a DC staffer named Mark Hannerfeld. And I'm throwing useless information out. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's useless. I think Mark Hannerfeld would probably appreciate it. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> when he writes in, we'll, we'll look into that. Abel, he's deceased. That's just mean. Um, Wait a long time with that letter. The next, oh, my God. Um, next, the next thing is the the characters also known as, sometimes known as the Demons Three, but they, here they're listed as Abnegazar, Wrath, and Gast, uh, three JLA villains from another dimension, uh, drawn by Craig Hamilton, who was the genius artist behind the uh, 1985 Aquaman miniseries, and inked by Dick Giordano. Can't beat that combination, Craig Hamilton, Dick Giordano. Mwah. Um, uh, and they look great here. They're, they're, what the hell's that? I was kissing, I was kissing the air. I, um, sadly, I, I could tell. Yes. I was like pinching my fingers as if it was, you know, like a, a, a fine piece, piece of bread. Um, <laughs> more juice. um, so, and here you've got Craig drawing them in the, the three of them in the sort of contorted bodies, which is sort of perfect for the characters. And then these three little headshots where they just look totally goofy with these giant eyes and giant <laughs> ears. And they look creepy and weird, and yet they're, you know... They, they, the fact that he manages to make them look creepy at all is great when you think about the fact that these uh, creatures are uh, pink and wearing little purple shorts and booties. So they're <laughs> hardly the most imposing images, but Craig Hamilton made, makes it work. I, it's funny, because like, this is the first time... My, my first exposure to the characters when I was a kid, because I hadn't read them in JLA, because they were used sparingly, thankfully. Um, oh. But... So I thought these were incredibly cool-looking characters. And then I read them in JLA. I'm like, they're little pink imps. They look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he made them look so cool. One of their greatest moments probably ever is in, I don't know, Shag, did you ever read, you read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, I assume? I actually have not. Oh, my God. Podcast over. 
Um, is the, in, joke's already, the joke's already been used. It's one thing that it's one thing, yeah, but I mean it. It's one thing number fifty, uh, which features all of the various DC mystical characters, uh, and with virtually like evil itself taking over, taking over heaven and whatever. And there's a sequence with Doctor Fate, your favorite, Woo! where he faces off against Abnegazar, Wrath, and Gast. And it's sort of like a battle before the battle where they are sort of drawing the lines of where this fight is going to take place and like kind of like what, what mystical plane. It's sort of like we're establishing the rules of the battle before the battle starts. And um, and Abnegather, Wrath, and Gas threaten Dr. Fate by saying something like, um, no quarter asked. Saying to them, you know, like, this is going to be a battle to the death, so mm-hmm. no, we're going to go easy on you. And Dr. Fate responds with, no quarter asked, no quarter given. And he follows that by immolating one of the three of them. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> killing, killing him. And the other two are like, oh, my God. <laughs> Their reaction is basically, holy crap. And they run away because Dr. Fate has just immolated one of the three of them. That's awesome. It's one of the great Dr. Fate moments. You have to find that comic check. I, I have who's to a doctor, find it now. Anyone who's a Dr. Fate fan has to read that because it's just – and it just sets the tone of this badass battle that's about to fight. That Dr. Fate's like, okay, fine. No quarter is, no quarter given. And he just bursts into flame. It's <laughs> one of them bursts into flame. Um, the, the next listing is the classic Flash villain, Abracadabra, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Frank McLaughlin. Um, this is a – like the thing with Joe Orlando, this is a trademark of the series is that DC went and found, not found, it's not like they were missing, but went and tracked, <laughs> went and, went and, and hired, if they, whenever they could, the artist that was probably most familiar with the character. And, of course, Corman Infantino drew the Flash for, for decades and established the look of Abracadabra. So, you know, they go back and get him to do the listing, which only makes sense. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice drawing, and it shows you a classic moment from Flash history where Abracadabra turns the Flash into a, a living puppet. Yep, that's perfect. It looks great. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's great. You know, I said, it, it's, it, and right here, if you, if, you, if you have the book open, you can see you've got these two facing pages, Abnagathar, Wrath, and Gas, and Abracadabra. You've got two very contrasting styles. You've got the very modern look of Craig Hamilton, which is the kind of old-school Carmen Infantino. And again, just as someone who was a fan of... DC and a fan of comic art, it's great seeing all these styles mishmashed all together. Um, and then it was it was a lot of my first exposure to a lot of these artists. Yeah, for a lot of people, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, there's a letter in, in a later issue, I think, that says something to the effect of, "Why do you guys keep using this Jack Kirby guy?" <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, why do we? You know, he's he's a newcomer. Maybe he'll make something in the world of comics. Right. We're hoping something will stick. Hoping something will stick. Um, next is Adam Strange, drawn by Carmen Infantino, once again, and Murphy Anderson. Although, you really, Murphy Anderson was a pretty heavy anchor in terms of influencing the style that he, so it, it looks mostly like it's from him. Um, I mean, if you were to contrast the Abracadabra page, which is Carmen Infantino and Frank McLaughlin. Right. With, with the Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson, Adam Strange, I mean, you would never guess it's the same artist. Yeah, Murphy Anderson tended to really dominate uh, the proceedings, pretty much. Um, I always loved Adam Strange. He was one of my favorite characters growing up. My uh, This was the first listing I can I can say, like, I feel like missed the boat a little bit, because um, you've got Adam Strange standing there, kind of giving everybody the high sign. And to me, the, to me, the fun of Adam Strange is like the, the jetpack, you know, mm-hmm. flying through the sky. He should be flying. In this listing, like he is on the cover, like he is on the cover. So I mean, to him, it, it, it's a it's a perfectly nice picture. But him just standing there, just to me, it, it's just not quite 
you know, doesn't give you the oomph of Adam Strange, but, you know. I mean, I get what's happening. He, he's Zeta ba- he's Zeta beaming in. Right. But, it, yeah, it's, he yeah, should it's, definitely yeah. be. I mean, you know, hey, they, not everyone is a home run, and, you know, you can't, again, that's part of the fun. You know, you can see what you're going to get. Um, Adam, for me, Adam Strange didn't actually click till about 2005 when he had that uh, miniseries around Infinite Crisis where they gave him the new suit, mm-hmm. which, you know, is probably people think was horrible, but I love the new suit. But anyway, it's t- so like when this entry, I like my eyes just sort of glazed over this entry for like years. Like I barely even looked at it because <laughs> it was a boring static image and I didn't care about the character. Uh, dude, I got to tell you, once again, you have got to read the Alan Moore Swamp Thing because he does a run with Adam Strange and Swamp Thing, which is some of the greatest Alan, Adam Strange stories ever done. That's so pretty cool. You've got to read those books. I, I just never got around to it. It's, I don't have anything against it. I mean, nope. I was... I came in during uh, Nancy Collins' run on Swamp Thing. No quarter asked, no quarter given. Um, (laughs) So uh, next up is, um, I believe you, I need, let's go to the glossary. Let's go to pronunciation key, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Aegeus, thank you very much, Bob Greenberger. Uh, A Wonder Woman villain uh, drawn by Don, penciled in ink by Don Heck. Um, I don't have much response to this character one way or the other. I've never been a huge fan of Don Heck's work as a superhero artist. Um, I like his stuff on other genres, but, um, you know, and I didn't read Wonder Woman at the time and Wonder Woman, uh, frankly, nobody read Wonder Woman at the time. So, uh, <laughs> th- this character just, uh, I just kind of gloss over it. And even to this day, I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay. It's a kind of a Roman God looking guy on a big horse. Like, okay. You know, fine. Next. Yeah. Next. <laughs> Nothing against Aegeus. Um, next is our first two listing page. Uh, where they're cramming a lot of information into a tiny space. It's Airwave 1 and Airwave 2. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you, I told you, the Legion of Airwave yes. fans. Right now, the ratings this, went up on the show just at this moment. This is your moment. This is it. And, and, and that's it. Won't be after this. <laughs> um, Airwave 1 and Airwave 2, art by Alex Saviak and Dick Giordano. Art, art, uh, Alex Saviak drew the rotating backups in Action Comics. There was a point where Aquaman, Adam, and Airwave were all rotating backups in, in the back of Action, and he drew them all. Um, so, you know, again, they went and got him, which was great. And you, you see the, the, the classic Golden Age Airwave next to his, what is that, his son? Um, I think, yes, it is. Yeah, his son, the uh, Har- Harold Hal Jordan, uh, who was Airwave 2. You know, as a kid, this was confusing as heck to me, was... Hal Jordan, Airwave, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and then, you know, they retconned it to say, I think they were cousins, I believe. Yeah, no. Let's not uh, get into the retconning. <laughs> right, well, I mean, it's, you know, some, and, and this is pre-crisis retconning. Yes, even it before, is. You know. yep. So, um, I was fascinated by this entry, because even at that age, I, I had already developed a love for the, for the contrast between Golden Age and Silver Age during Modern Age characters. Uh, I've mentioned before on Fire and Water, I believe, that you know JSA is really one of my favorite comics. JSA, All-Star Squadron, those characters have such a place in my heart. So seeing, even back then, I was able to sort of connect with the Golden Age version and the Modern Age version. I love this art. I think this is some of the best Alex Saviak art I've seen, actually. Uh, not that he's a bad artist, but this just it just looks so good. And I was fascinated by this Airwave character for years. And in fact, um, for you matchheads out there, Airwave 2 is the gentleman who went on to become Mazer in the um, John Ostringer run of Firestorm. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you make a – Shag makes a good point about the, the histories. Uh, one of the nice – again, nice things about um, 
Who's Who was that it, you know, it it gave you the sense of the legacies, you know, these legacy characters. By putting both of them on the same page, you're like, oh, here is the first one and here's the second one. You know, it's just a, it's just a cool little detail getting you're, – you're getting more of the history just by the visuals of seeing, you know, the two different versions of the characters over the years. Um, they would later, you know, give more space to some of the other legacy characters, but the airwaves get sort of swooshed together here. Um, next up is a character from Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo Crew, a book that at the time I would not have been caught dead reading because it was funny animals and I was too mature <laughs> for that. Um, <laughs> nowadays I admit to enjoying the book because it was fun. Um, Alley Cat Abra, who is a magician, uh, anthropomorphic uh, cat who has magical powers and kind of disturbing amount of, well, you, you, you'll see it when, when, if you look at the listing. Um, I'm just saying for a cat, she's fairly pneumatic. Um, the art is by Scott Shaw, who was the artist on Captain Carter's Amazing Zoo Crew, and he does a great job here. He's a great classic funny animal style. Now, she was supposed to be kind of an analog for Zatanna, is that right? I guess. I, you know, I mean, I don't think they were... Yeah, I mean, basically, I would say so. I mean, they... You, you were about to say they weren't direct analogs, but come on. Yes, they were. Yeah, I... Well, I stopped myself in the middle of my sense, realized that's ridiculous. When you've got Aqueduct, how can you say this? Um... <laughs> <laughs> which, which which we'll get to in a second when you think about that, you know, like some of the characters kept the character did not get their own listings, but the members of the actual zoo crew did. So mm. um, next up is the first double page spread, and it is a hell of a double page spread. All Star Squadron, uh, abbreviated as ASS, um, by <laughs> unnecessary, unnecessary, which is drawn by Jerry Ordway, you know, one of the greatest comic book artists I say who ever lived. I don't think Shag's going to give me any argument about that. Um, well, you make it in the past tense. He's not dead. Well, that's true. One of the okay, one of the greatest comic book artists who ever existed and is still currently working. Let's put it that I way. Tell you, I tell I turned the page from Ali Cadabra, um, Ali Cadabra, and, and I caught my breath. Yeah, it is just it, beautiful. Whoa. A group shot of everybody running towards the camera, and then on the side you've got the headshots giving all the members. And you know, the great thing about Jerry Ordway specifically, like, all the faces are displaying their own emotions it's it's not a stock face not, some people are smiling some people look serious he's giving you a sense of the character just by the headshot you know mm-hmm. dr face looks serious plastic man is smiling the guardian is smiling you know i mean amazing man looks a little like okay i don't know if i want to hang out with all these white people uh you've got <laughs> well, I mean, that was, you know the 1940s i'd be suspicious too um you know so it it, it you know, it just gave you a lot of information very quickly. Uh, and he has to, because when you look at it, I mean, look how little text there is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically one paragraph. Tiny little paragraph, Men- yeah. Mentioning, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I formed the All-Star Squadron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see? Now, fans of the Firewater podcast will know that my FDR impressions are the most uh, popular part of that show. Wow. Lying to the new audience already. Yeah, what the hell? Well, apparently we have a bunch of new fans, so they'll never know. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is the, the first two-page listing, and it is, it's just beautiful. And it's, you've got the serpent in the background of their headquarters, which is the... Um, Perisphere, I think? The, the Perisphere and the Trilon from the uh, 1939 New York World's Fair, which is it's just beautiful. I love the Delta Squadron. That's their headquarters. I'm, I'm sorry. Just looking at this, I, I just... I want to hang up. I want to get off the podcast and go read some All Star Squad. It's, it's just, ah, oh, these comics are so. It's so many good memories and the art. 
Oh, yeah, that's a great Rick book. Buckler's in there all the time. And, oh. Yeah, great, great series. And again, you know, that shows you, like, DC was willing to change it up. Here, you, just two pages earlier, you've got two characters smooshed onto one page, and here you've got a team getting double page. And it, now, it, it's fair to say the Airway was not a, really appearing in a book at the time, and All-Star Squadron right. had its own book. Right, so. right. But, I mean, that's, but that's perfect. I mean, it's appropriate. It's like, look, we've got to give more space to, to those who are a little more current or whatever, and who, I don't want to say deserve it, but you know what I mean. Just some people, some of the characters need more space. So it, it's great that they were able to make those changes and then fit everything in in one book, too. That had to be a tricky thing to fit it all in within 32 pages, you know. Well, I think it really comes down to we need to give enough space to the ones who are making us money currently. Yeah, that too. Airwave wasn't selling comics, but All-Star Squadron <laughs> was. So they really got three pages, as we're about to discover. Right, because uh, then there's another new thing here. It's the All-Star Squadron headquarters, which gets its own page, which shows that DC wasn't just doing character bios. They were doing place bios. And, you know, here is a uh, schematic drawn by Marshall Rogers, of all people. He was not somebody I would have thought um, that it would be – you know, somebody would get to do technical drawings, but he obviously did a good job because this looks really nice. And it's it's a cutaway of the the the, the perisphere um, showing uh, what was it what the All Star Squadron headquarters was on the inside. What's that big swimming pool for? They don't need that. Uh, artificial lake and pylons supporting perisphere. I guess they just wanted an artificial lake just in case Aquaman ever showed up. Well, that's, that's the point I'm making is you, yeah. you don't, if you're a superhero team, the only reason you ever have a lake around is unless you've got some sort of lame, water-powered hero. Anyway, on the next page is um, <laughs> another All-Star Squadron character, Amazing Man, once again drawn by Jerry Ordway. The only minor quibble I have on this drawing at all is the only thing I've ever what? heard me say anything about it. What? Is the fact that his cape no. goes behind the serpent, which so? to me looks weird. It just looks strange to me. That's all. Okay, I will admit, at first I thought, where's the rest of his cape? Yeah. <laughs> and it took me a minute to realize, oh, it's behind the, what do you What do you call it, the what? I call it the serpent. The serpent. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just call it the background image. Okay. Because I, like, I, don't, I don't like the big $5 words. I don't um, like big words. <laughs> I don't like the big words. I like the small words. I don't like Robin's um, fancy book learning. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's going behind the background image, which actually sort of shows a little more interaction. I think it's cool. I, I do love this cover. I mean, it shows his family. It shows him in and out of costume. It's got him demonstrating his powers. I mean, there's a lot of little images in this way because Jerry Ordway is a master. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice it's a nice image. They, Amazing Man, like, I don't know, never really made it out of All-Star Squadron. You know what I mean? Like, he never really got big after that, which is too bad because I thought it was a good character. Well, I mean, they they tried to bring him in with Extreme Justice. Oh, Lord. Well, I know. Let's not and then, I know. Let's and then they... What? R- really? Are you Extreme Justice? Come on. I I can't... Firestorm's in it. I can't deny its existence. And then, uh, you know, Jeff Johns brought back a different version of Amazing Man for the more recent Justice Society comics. Oh, I didn't but know you, that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but even that, you know, it, it, I would I would not call that going mainstream, though. No, no. Um, but, you know, again, it was great to have, like, you know, basically three straight pages of Jerry Ordway, you know? I mean, that that's always cool. I never can complain about that. Um, next up is uh, Amazo, classic JLA villain, drawn by Mike Zeck and John Beatty, who were a great team. Zeck and Beatty were a great, great team. And Zeck, of course, specialized in kind of, like, beefy, muscular guys. He drew a Punisher miniseries, which to me is still the best Punisher that was ever done. Oh, it's and gorgeous. Am- Amazo is a great, just kind of muscly character. And 
you know, like a listing like this, which shows DC's facility at finding like an unusual choice to do one of their characters. Cause Mike Zek at the time was not doing much DC work. If, if any, if any DC work, he was riding the wave of Secret Wars, right? At, he was at this Secret moment, Wars and he had done Captain America. So for them, for a Marvel guy, back in you know nowadays, you know the creators go back and forth, you know willy nilly. It was a little rarer back then, and so to see a, a classical Marvel artist do a DC pinup, it was like, oh wow, look at that, you know. And it's a, it's a great listing. It shows you a flashback to Amazo's first appearance. It shows you him using his powers, and it shows you the guy that created him, Professor Ivo. So it's it's just you know, and he looks tough. And he looks mean. He's kind of got like this, you know, although he's got an incredibly goofy costume. Um, but but Zek makes it look. I mean, that's one of the yeah. that's one of the things Zek is is an expert at is taking goofy looking costume and making it you just accept it. Yeah. And, and the the expression on Mazo's face is awesome. Yeah, he does. He looks kind of nasty. Um, next up is <laughs> Ambush Vug. By here, can't beat that by Keith Giffen and Bob Oxner. And right here, we're showing that you know, DC is willing to goof on itself because in the surprint or background, um, <laughs> we've got a, a poster of Ambush Bug where he is analyzing himself. Uh, and it says, no symbol, no cape, no shorts, no ball playing, no alcoholic beverages. <laughs> and then there's a paste over where it says, the new DC, which, even though it's a drawing, feels like it's uh, being sarcastic. Um, oh, absolutely. So, um, and it, and, and, it doesn't. This is before Ambush Bug really went off the rails in terms of as, as a character. He was still, he was more of like a mixer, Mister Mixus Pitalik character here, more of like an imp, uh, rather than what he became later, which is like a commenter on the DC universe itself. So the listing here doesn't quite get into how crazy Ambush Bug would become, but it hints at it, at him being more like a trickster and stuff like that. And, and well, he was a, he was a few months away from his first miniseries. Right. So it was well in development here. But it's, it, it goes beyond. I mean, it actually does get goofier. It actually says there's insufficient data available. You know, so it really just, it, it's, anyway, it, it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's a, definitely a proto, you know, ambush bug humor here. Yeah. And that infuriated some fans, like that, that notion of like, you know, well, this is supposed to be a listing of the powers and this is incomplete. But it's like, I like that. It, you, we don't know much about ambush bug because he's a big goof. You know, it's like I, I like they're, they're honoring the character by making the listing reflect the character. I'm a, I'm a pretty big ambush book fan. Too, I don't I, I don't have it committed to memory as much as I wish I did because there are some great gags in there. But I just I've always loved it, and I just noticed just now for the very first time in the sir print, whatever that is. Um, there's the bucket of paint, and behind it is a, a nod to Fleming. You see it? Yes. You can only see Lemming. It's like, aww. Robert Lauren. Robert Lauren. For those who don't know, Robert Lauren Fleming, who was Keith Giffen's co-writer and co-creator of Ambush Bug. Yep. Yeah, it's... So, a, now, he passed away, right? Robert Lauren Fleming? Didn't he? No. Oops. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Hold, wait a minute. Hold on, we'll find out. I don't yeah, believe so. Well, did he Did he help with the more recent Ambush Bug thing? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that memorial service I had for him was wasted, huh? Yeah, he, yeah, he just, yeah, he just, he worked on the 2008 Ambush Bug miniseries. <laughs> what the hell? I'm so, I'm so sad he died. How did I mix that up? I don't know. Well. Why would we do that? Anyway, the next, the next, the next, <laughs> li- <laughs> the next listing is is uh, is Amethyst, Princess of the Gemworld, drawn by uh, the incomparable Ernie Colon, who is not dead. Um, 
he uh, was the original artist on the Amethyst series, and of course, you know, the perfect guy to, to, to do it here. So it's a, it's a. I never read a- Amethyst because it was you know starring a girl, and at thirteen, I was like, I'm not reading a book about no girl. But uh, <laughs> but it's certainly beautifully drawn. I mean, early Cologne is a great artist, and it's a it's a really nice listing. It's it's absolutely beautiful, and uh, I, I actually had the pleasure of doing an interview with uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn, the writers on this book. Right, I should have, they're the, the co-creators of, the, of, of, of Amethyst, I should have mentioned. Yep, and uh, I had a chance to talk with them, and we talked about some of Ernie's work and, you know, just different aspects of it, and I, I have so much respect for this creation. There was so much that went into the creation of this character. It wasn't just a simple, let's throw it together um, sort of storyline, and, and it, there, was a, there was a plan behind it, there was a marketing strategy, they had big plans for this thing. And she'll, as, as far as I know, she's even going to be appearing in that DC, oh, I forget what it's called, but they've DC got that Nation. big hand. DC Nation. Is that, is that what the animation thing is called? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Looks like she's going to be appearing in that. So, I mean, it's, my, I, I just, I couldn't applaud this enough. It was a great effort. So. Yeah, I think they definitely were planning on making, like, I think Hanna-Barbera was going to do an animated series in the 80s, and obviously it never came to fruition. But they definitely, I think, had had designs on Am- on Amethyst being, you know, like a big multimedia character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't quite pan out, but you know, they they certainly were trying to get like a different audience for comics with, with exactly with the, with, with the character. Um, the next listing, <laughs> woo! Here it is, folks. Is, uh, another big one. Uh, my other than Aquaman's my favorite listing in the book, which is the Wonder Woman villain Angleman, who gets a third of a page <laughs> vertically, no vertically less. drawn by Jose Delbo and Romeo Tangle. This is the visual equivalent of being of a nerd being stuffed in his locker, um, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, um, you know, Angleman is one of the goofier villains, even by Wonder Woman standards, and it's sort of perfect that uh, he was given the respect he deserves by <laughs> being put in. I, I think they should have given him, like, a corner box, like, you know, <laughs> at an angle would have been cleverer. And I also think it, it's a perfect uh, res- perfect example to respect DC had for the character that when he appeared in the crisis, he's killed off-panel. And his his only appearance is as a smoking corpse that the other characters find. I, I just think that's hysterical. And from a merchandising point of view, I have to go back to uh, Justice League Unlimited packaged a Firestorm, Killer Frost, and, and Angle Man. That's, 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 figure together. That's, that, 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 I think somebody lost a bet at Mattel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to. I will say, Jose, uh, the artists on Angle Man are Jose Delbo and Romeo Tango. I had Jose Delbo as an instructor. Uh, during uh, my second year at the Kubert School, so uh, oh. uh, I don't. And envy. Romeo Tengal was a great anchor. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't envy anybody that. But okay. Um, <laughs> oh, having him as an instructor. Yeah, but let's move on. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other two thirds of the page are Animal Man, drawn Yahoo! by yeah, drawn by Gil Kane, who was I think the original artist on the series back when he first appeared. Animal Man first appeared in Strange Adventures number one uh, one eighty. Um, it's funny to think, you know, sometimes DC was, was, I think in DC's mind, using Animal Man here was kind of just basically dusting off an old character. Little did they know that Animal Man would become like kind of one of their big characters in the nineties. I mean, he, well, had, he had his own series for like, what, like seven years or something. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah and now absolutely. he's one of the big stars of the new 52. Well, he had appeared shortly before this. Um, Part of the Forgotten D- Heroes. Exactly, in DC Comics Presents. So there there was some cash sort of investment in the character in that they had used him sort of recently and they thought they might be able to again. 
So, um, right, this, right. Was, this was my first introduction to Animal Man. And, and this is not what ultimately made me fall in love with the character, but this Animal Man is another one of those that is just one of my absolute favorites. I just absolutely love this character. So yeah, I'm thrilled he got this entry. And you, you see Animal Man using some of his powers and stuff like that. And, it's like, you know, Gil Kane. You can't beat Gil Kane. I love Gil Kane. And I still do. So. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying. Um, you're not really saying much of anything. You're just going to making weird squeaky noises. I like Gil Kane at times. Okay. Right. Um, not oh, You don't want me to talk about this, do you? No, I don't. I, is, does it hurt you inside? I have to. Well, we have to talk off here about my Gilcane podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, next up is Anth- and, and, by, and just to, to correct you, uh, Gilcane did not draw the first uh, Animal Man Adventures. That was Carmine Infantino. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. All right, that felt good. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> set him up just to knock him down. Next up is uh, Anthro, uh, a character to whom probably most people were scratching their heads, saying, "Who?" <laughs> um, Anthro was a caveman character. He had his own series, very briefly, in the 60s, which a lot of DC characters can say that. They had their own characters, they had their own series <laughs> briefly in the 60s. But he did have his own book. Um, here, the listing is drawn by Howie Post, who drew the original Anthro series, and who had pretty much like been out of comics, because he had more like a humor style. And you can see in the, the background images, like the figures are not the classic... Like, I figure what it is, like, seven heads high, which is, like, standard superhero proportions. Here the characters are, like, four heads high, which is more of an animated kind of Bigfoot style. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can sort of see that influence here. Um, Howie Post really didn't do much in comics, as far as I know, in terms of superhero comics after uh, Anthro. So, you know, I thought it was great that they went and got him and, you know, got him to do this, got him to do this listing again. I mean, I'm kind of amazed he got this much space, considering... He really didn't appear too much, right? Well, I, I, my suspicion is that this one is one of those that got put in there because of uh, crisis. They knew crisis on the horizon, right? And they knew they wanted to. Crisis needed to feature Anthro, and it needed to feature, you know, Commandy or Tommy Tomorrow, right? You right. Know, they wanted the Alpha and the Omega of the DC universe, right? And so, uh, I, I think that's probably what led to getting this entry, right? Um, for, the, for those of you following along, we are now halfway through the first issue, so this episode and only has another four hours to go. <laughs> and we know this because of the staples. We know because of the staples. Um, next up is another uh, place, which is Apocalypse, uh, drawn by Greg Feekston, uh, who was one of Jack Kirby's longtime uh, anchors, so it only seemed appropriate. Um, and it has a little shot of Dark Side, and it shows some of the nastier places in, uh, in uh, that belongs to Apocalypse in terms in t- uh, like a place called the Dark Side's Tower of Rage, which sounds like like the worst ride you'd ever never want to go on. Uh, that's a place that way. Yeah, I know that's absolutely a place that way to happen. My favorite is still the Armageddo. Yeah, I just <laughs> love that. Jack Kirby loved his funny names for things. <laughs> Next, and now we're getting to the good stuff here. Uh, um, we've got a du- please. We got a double listing, Aqualad and Aqua Girl, drawn by George Perez, um, which is perfect for the two of them to be put together because, you know, they, they belong together. Um, it's kind of interesting that if you really want to get technical, you've got Aqualad's listing first and then Aqua Girls, which is not alphabetical, but, you know, okay. Um, but in, in, And it's, it's, it's a dual drawing. Um, unlike the Airwave ones where the two, the two drawings were kind of – they were all – 
the two drawings are put together, but they're kind of separate. Here, Aqualad and Aquagirl are interacting. They're looking at one another and they're sharing a background. Um, so it's, you know, it's a perfect listing. Um, this is also a good example of the dreaded flexographic process, which was a new way of printing comics that DC tried out in the 80s. And it featured incredibly sort of garish colors. And unfortunately, it led to a lot of printing mistakes. And you can see it here on the Aqualad and Aquagirl listings because on the skin tones, it looks like Garth and Tula are suffering from the heartbreak of psoriasis. So uh, uh, it's, it's that magenta again. That's yeah, it's that, that, yeah, it's that magenta. It's the only thing that ruins this image is these ghastly magenta spots all over their skin tone. And uh, DC would later on uh, drop the flexographic process on Who's Who, saying that uh, they felt the series was too important to experiment with. But uh, in this first couple of issues, we had to uh, we had to uh, had to grin and bear it. Uh, this this image, especially the the background image, has always been striking to me. The, for the background image, they used a dark, rich green, which, for whatever reason, just I think it just set off Perez's beautiful background so much more. I mean, you get yeah. What I, I can only assume is Topo, the octopus back there in the corner. Yeah, I would, I would figure. I mean, it'd be nice if there was a walrus somewhere now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you see, I don't know whether that's Tritonus or Poseidon. I don't know if you can tell which one or uh, it, which which city is that, one of them? I do not know. Okay. You, you should know by the skyline, shouldn't you? Isn't that your job? Like what you do? Let's move on. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, it is an absolutely beautiful piece. It and, is. And this, this is the one that, this is the piece that actually made me wake up one day and go, Tula's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's going to come out. Okay, uh, the next... <laughs> I can't win with you with these aqua people, I no, swear. Well, just it's a compliment. Say something appropriate and I'll leave it in. Um, the next listing, here it is, baby. This is, this, this is, this is, this is, this is what you paid your dollar for. Um, <laughs> Aquaman, drawn by Chuck Patton, the great Chuck Patton, the great underrated Chuck Patton, friend of the Aquaman Shrine, Chuck Patton. Not going to get any arguments from me. Um, no. Uh, and uh, also the guy who uh, the Aquaman Train helped uh, reunite with his fiance, but that's a whole other story. Um, and inked by Dick Giordano. Great combination. It's a beautiful shot of Aquaman looking majestic and regal. He's not he, – he's swimming. He looks like he's flying, but he's also swimming because you've got some bubbles in the background. And then in the background, uh, Surprint Image, you see him knocking the crap out of some rock using his uh, telepathic powers and also riding his seahorse looking very majestic. Um, it's just great. It's a great page. It, it, if I had, like, unlimited funds to buy, like, the five greatest pieces of Aquaman original art, this would be on my list. You know, mm. I would want to track this down and buy this original piece because I just, I just love it. I think it's, it makes Aquaman look fantastic and, like, upbeat and cheery and heroic and just classic, you know, just, just classic. Absolutely. I I was reading um, Justice League at this point, uh, the, the Justice League Detroit at this point. So this was, you know, my Aquaman at that time. So absolutely love this Aquaman. Because, uh, I mean, Chuck Patton was kind of the, one of the main guys on J, JLD. I like how they're demonstrating Aquaman's strength. You know, you and I have talked before, that's one of his powers you don't get to see too often. And that gorgeously ornate, you know, Trident in the background. Yeah, yeah. Just right underneath the logo, just kind of sets off some of the majesty of it. I think it's a great piece. And this is a good example of where you get a character who has a lot of history starts to push the artwork a little smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. 
Because, I mean, you're, you're here, you're probably looking at, I don't know, um, I, I, the drawing's not even two-thirds of a page. You know, it's a little bit less than two-thirds of the page because you've got so much text. Yeah, yep, that's true. It was interesting where it says, underwater, his swimming speed is in excess of 100 miles an hour. That's really fast. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's really yes, it fast. is. That's, that's very, very fast. But I like how they didn't pigeonhole themselves. They said, in excess, rather than, you know, like Marvel would do it. Yeah, his swimming speed is 102 miles an hour. Well, someone's got 103. He loses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. It's 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 a it's a perfect thing. And you know, I also love that. Um, I, should, I guess this is a perfect time to mention it. In the first appearance listing, it lists more fun comics number 73, which is of course, as any Aquaman Aquaman fan knows, is his first appearance. Now that is technically, if you want to, because they're really talking about the Earth One version here, the Silver Age version of Aquaman. Um. So you could argue that this Aquaman did not first appear in More Fun Comics number 73. He first appeared later on in an in, uh, issue of Adventure Comics. Some people argue as to which is the, really the first one or not. But they're kind of – DC is acknowledging their history by saying, look, this core concept of a character first appeared in this issue. As opposed to getting into the nitty-gritty of like, well, he, better, you know, he maybe kind of first appeared here. They're just saying no. Aquaman as a concept first appeared in More Fun Comics number 73 and just going with that. All right, nerd fight time. Um, I suppose you have more knowledge of Aquaman than me, but I I can usually hold myself in a discussion. But didn't the whole concept of an Earth-1 versus Earth-2 Aquaman not come up until later in the All-Star Squadron series? Because was there ever a reference to an Earth-1, Earth-2 Aquaman uh, until that point? Basically, yeah, Roy Thomas was the first guy to really make it, to make, to do it explicitly and say, yes, there is an Earth 2 character. They, there was a definite demarcation point because he changed origins. Sure. You know, and that's the point. But they never really, but yeah, the Earth 2 Aquaman was never really mentioned in any issue of Justice League or like any of those JLA, JSA team-ups or anything like that. They really just forgot about him. And essentially, that after the Earth 3 Aquaman stopped appearing in Adventure Comics, you know, sort of unofficially, he basically did not appear again for 30 years. And then he reappeared in in a cameo in All-Star Squadron where he is mentioned as existing. And that was Roy Thomas's thing of saying, you know, okay, no, that one that was around in the Golden Age, that's the Earth 2 Aquaman. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is at this point, though, I think DC's mindset was there wasn't an Earth 2 Aquaman. It was their stories started in the 40s, and they just said, ah, it's all the same guy. It's just this is, you know, well, I, press I, the timeline, don't worry about the, the dates, and say it's the same guy. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they Sort of like Green Arrow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, because you said earlier that they already had the crisis in mind, and they did. They already had the crisis going. And part of the idea of the crisis was to get rid of those core five characters, the Earth 2, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Green Arrow. So they, I think they probably had that in mind. Aquaman and Green Arrow are an afterthought, I'm telling you. It was Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman for sure. I will, like, Aquaman I, and Green Lantern was all, and Green Arrow was all like, whatever. I dude. will have to ask Roy Thomas, because he's the one who wrote, who, who had the task of writing them out of continuity. Well, I mean, I think Roy had a different mindset. Roy intentionally wanted to say there was an Earth 1 and Earth 2. But I'm saying before that, though, this is total nerd fight. Sorry, folks. Um, that Before that point, though, I don't think anyone had ever considered an Earth 1, Earth 2 Aquaman. It was just Aquaman who happened to exist on Earth 1. Hmm. 
Do, 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 you understand, do you understand the subtle difference of what I'm saying? I don't know if I do. Okay. Well, you know, some people are faster on the uptake than others. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, all right. I, okay. I, I'm still right, but okay. Um, <laughs> Yellow gloves does not mean Earth too. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, <laughs> all that's coming out. Uh, the next listing is Iraq, Son of Thunder, who again drawn by Ernie Cologne, who had his own book. I, I, I didn't really get into much into Iraq. Uh, I just, you know, it just didn't appeal to me all that much. But um, certainly deserved his own listing. He had his own series, and it's certainly beautifully drawn by by uh, Mr. Cologne. To me, this character was, oh yeah, he's got that comic at the convenience store that nobody buys, <laughs> and oh yeah. He's the guy I've seen ads in comic books that has an action figure, Remco, with Warlord. He did have his own action figure. I guess we shouldn't mock him too heavily. He had his own action figure. He's way ahead of yeah. the Firestorm. Uh, yes, he did. So, yes, he did. there you go. That's that's my... And, and, you know, and to this day, my only knowledge of Iraq, actually. Or Iraq, sorry. Yeah, uh, you know, I've said, and he's been around. He's made appearances here and there, so he's, he's hung on. And he did have his own action figure, which I had. Um, <laughs> the next next listing is Arcane by Steve Bissett and John Tottleben, and here's another instance of sort of like the D- the DC universe's uh, infinite uh, diversity and infinite combinations, if I may borrow from Star Trek, um, smashing up against one another. Because as drawn by Bissett and Tottleben, Arcane is a cr- truly disturbing character. Um, there is a host of really creepy looking beings here. There's a little guy who has who is basically just a head and a hand. Um, there's there's arcane in his like in, giant insect zombie form. Um, we see arcane in the background turning into a bunch of flies, and it really butts up against the sort of cheeriness of like the Iraq listing and the cheeriness of the <laughs> Aquaman listing quite well. You know, it's like oh god, you know, and here's Aquaman, everything's bright and cheery, and here's Iraq, which is sort of like straightforward adventure, and then. Bang! This sort of nasty horror image, um, you know, beautifully brought to life by by Bissett and Tottleman. So it, it, you know, to me, it's just like another great example of what made this Who's Who series, you know, so interesting. This entry creeped the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, it really did. Uh, as a young youngin, uh, I mean, and then if you read just like the last sentence of his entry, all the remains of Arcane now is his disembodied spirit, which seems currently imprisoned in the darkest reaches of hell itself. Yeah. It's like, holy crap! There's, For a 12-year-old, it's like, oh my god! I hate to keep flogging Ellen Moore's Swamp Thing, but um, Arcane has a scene in um, an issue of Swamp Thing which is, is truly, which as a kid, I almost say gave me nightmares, that's a little too much, but it really was deeply unsettling, what Alan Moore does with Arcane. I won't say what it is. When, when did they slap the Mature Readers label on that stuff? Uh, a couple, like about ten issues into his run. Okay. Yeah, they, they got a little, they, it took the comics code a while to catch up. They're like, what the hell are they doing over there? Um, <laughs> Who's this British guy? What the hell is oh he doing with Lord. The, that guy? Um, next up is Arion, Lord of Atlantis, which oh. is a creation uh, by uh, our pal Paul Coverberg, friend of the Shrine, um, drawn by Jan Dersima who was uh, a Cubert School, fellow Cubert School graduate and uh, the first artist on the series. Um, I, I'm sorry, I just say, I, I never really read Arion at the time. I just wasn't into fantasy, and I've, I've made my apologies to Paul in, <laughs> since then. This one holds such a special place in my heart, because um, early on in my comic collecting, I wanted to get in on the ground floor on new stuff. And, you know, because I... 
for me, it's always been, I always, it wasn't that I wanted to buy a number one, it's that I wanted to start at the beginning of a character. And that's how I got into Blue Devil, things like that. And this is one of the characters where it was the same for me. I, I, I found Warlord number 55 at the, at the grocery store or convenience store or whatever, and it was the first appearance of this character, Orion. And I was like, huh, what's this? You know, first appearance. Ooh, I gotta read this. And I got into the character. And I bought the comic. And I am not a magic sword and sorcery guy. I dig me some Dr. Fate, but that's in a modern context. I am not a sword and sorcery kind of guy by any means. I don't even like Dungeons and Dragons. And, um, as if that's some sort of qualifier, I suppose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just not my thing. And so this is one of the rare instances where magic really did it for me. And Jan's artwork is gorgeous. The line work, the, the character designs, there's so many gorgeous things in this book. Um, still it's a very special place in my heart and just love it to death. And this entry just... It reminds me so much of, of, of my youth. So. Oh, that's nice. It's making me very happy right now. All right. Um, next up. As you blow right past Yeah, it. well, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> next, up is, next up is Arkham Asylum. Uh, definitely one of the most famous listings and uh, famous places of the DC universe. And here's another example of DC finding the perfect artist for the perfect listing. They went and got Bissett and Toddleman to do Arkham Asylum. Which was perfect because, you know, before this, like, they hadn't really let those two on the regular DC universe at all. I think it almost <laughs> felt like you had to keep those guys, like, in the Swamp Thing book. Otherwise, their horror might spill into the DC universe. But by getting them to draw Arkham Asylum, I mean, it's perfect. And you've got a drawing of the sort of slightly rotted building. And then in the background is the sort of ghostly images of the Joker looking looking like a more like a monster than he ever, ever has. Two-Face... Maxi Zeus and the Floronic Man um, wafting from the roof of the building like they're ghosts. It's just a very creepy image. It's almost like they're vapor escaping from the building. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a tr- – yeah. It, it tells you everything about, like, the building and the setting and everything. You know, what's interesting is in the, in the drawing, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a signature of, you know, Bissett and Taliban. But right above it's another initial, G. Johnson. And it, there's no colorist credited in the book named G. Johnson. I don't know who that is. Me neither. I'll have to look into that. It's interesting. Kind of, yeah. kind of interesting. I don't know. Next up is another two-page listing. Uh, another team, Atari Force, drawn by the late, great Eduardo Barreto. Um, Atari Force, you know, like nowadays, would seem kind of silly, like having like a product in the name of your book, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, but, uh, but back then, like Atari Force, you know, it was like its own, its own comic with its own sort of continuity and everything else. And, um, uh, you know, I never really read the book. I really got into it too much, but it certainly looks great. I mean, the listing by Barreto is, is great. All the characters are interacting. They're showing some of them have powers, and you're seeing them sort of use some of those powers. And then there's a background. There's a uh, in the background image is the previous set of characters, like the older characters, sort of the, the pre-Atari Force um, characters. Um, so you're, you're getting a history of, of the team uh, in in this one one image. And it's a, it looks like a really interesting sci-fi book. It really does. And, you know, as a kid, it confused the hell out of me. I'm like, Atari Force, why don't I see Pac-Man? You know, <laughs> it just couldn't, didn't register for me. But uh, it just looks so cool. And I've heard good things about it. And quite frequently, I find myself thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to pick up the back issues of that. And I just haven't got around to doing it yet. Yeah, there you go. I think it's, now's your chance. Uh, when we could start on our Atari Force podcast. There it is. Um 
Another two-page listing, again by Marshall Rogers, another place, uh, Atlantis, uh, which and it shows you Poseidonus and Tritonus, and then it has got five little bubble image, no pun intended, bubble images of some famous residents of Atlantis: Laurie Lamaris, uh, Ronal, Aqualad, Aquagirl, and King Volko. Why Aquaman is not pictured in this listing? I can never quite figure out. Because oh my me, gosh, to me, he's, <laughs> to me he's the most famous resident of Atlantis. So, but you know, okay. <laughs> Um, Didn't pick up on that. Yeah. As a, as a kid, I was like, what, where's Aquaman? He's mentioned in the listing. So, um, but, you know, <laughs> it's all right. You got to give the other guys some space because Aquaman gets to show up a couple different times in the team form. But it's, it's a nice drawing and there's some, some cute inset drawings by, uh, by Marshall Rogers of, of Aqualad and Aquagirl. Always happy to see Tula again. I never really understood Aqualad's hair in the 80s. It just looks so strange. It's a fro. It's a tightly knit fro. Yeah, very. <laughs> um, by the way, since you're clearly not the Aquaman expert I was looking for, uh, as we go back to the Aqualad and Aquagirl entry, this map clearly proves that the city in the background behind Aqualad and Aquagirl was, in fact, Poseidon. There we go. Good for you. Um, I guess I should mention this now we're because I forgot to mention this when we were at the Aquaman listing, but it, it applies to the whole book. Um, we I, hate each other. That's that's what he wants to tell you guys. Rob and I can't stand each other, and we are only doing this podcast because we're being made to. I, I think that I think that our I think that's implicit in the tone. Yep. I don't think you needed even to say it. But anyway, this is a story. It's a very brief story. I got this from Robert Greenberger himself, the uh, one of the uh, he's listed here as associate editor and researcher of Who's Who. Bob gave me this story himself. He wrote funny Who's Who story. We were trying to figure out the length of the text of a, of any given listing and used Aquaman as the test case. Len Wein wrote it up in three ways, short, medium, and long. Given the designs, we were leaning towards the medium when we took the three to Jeanette Kahn, who was president of DC Comics at the time. We took it to Jeanette Kahn for her input. Being such a visual person, she opted for the shortest. Len ignored her, and the medium became the standard. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We, we have Len Wein to thank for, for the, the listings as they currently exist. The next listing is the Golden Age Adam, drawn by Rick Hoberg and Romeo Tangal. And uh, this was um, the first listing where it shows the character in his two different costumes, because he basically had two different uniforms that I think basically ran around the same amount of time in terms of how many years he ran in each. And so it shows them equally. Um, and then in the background, you, you got to see him using his powers. And the reason why this works so well, too, is... Uh, in Jumping ahead a bit, the facing page is the modern day or silver age, modern day slash Adam, right. Ray Palmer. And in that page, Ray is also displaying his two costumes. Right. So they parallel each other nicely with, you know, um, the two, each character having its own two costumes. And I think it's a, a little interesting that may, maybe I'm misplacing Rick Hoberg, but Rick Hoberg and Romo, Romeo Tangal are, I view them as a little more modern 80s artists, at least Romeo Tangal. Whereas Gil Kane, I always thought of as like 60s artists, old, old school. So I felt like it was kind of funny. I had a more modern picture from the Golden Age Adam and yet a more old school picture for the more modern Adam, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand. Rick, Rick Hoberg um, drew a lot of issues of All-Star Squadron. Okay. So I think yep. that's probably why you got tapped. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, the, the Gil Kane is more of kind of an older image and yet they're using him for the more modern character. Yes, that's um, a better way to put it. Yeah, thank you. The Adam, uh, as you see, the Adam is in his classic uniform, and then shown as he looked in the Sword of the Adam miniseries, which is that was a great series. I love that series. 
Um, Wish Frank was here to talk about that with you, because I'm <laughs> not sure he'd agree. Oh. Well, fully for him. Um, so yeah, there's the Adam getting his own page, um, drawn by Gil Kane, and you see his uh, uh, mad-as-a-hatter wife, Jean Loring, and, uh, <laughs> and um, the the other woman in his life, the uh, that princess, I forget her name, the one that lived down in the jungle that the mm-hmm. Ray found himself in in the Sword of the Adam miniseries. And even... And- I will say the sort of the Adam look is awesome. Yeah, I dug it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a neat reinvention of the character. You know, they were trying lots of different things then. Um, it mentions that too. It even says he has currently chosen to live with an alien culture located somewhere in South America, permanently remaining at his six-inch size. So you're like, uh, yeah, like cool. ironically, sort of Adam was almost as big of a, a shift as sort of Atlantis. Kinda, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say I love that series. I, I guess a lot of it depends on when you read it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and when I, I was 13, when that series came out, and I just accepted it. I was like, okay, that's what the Adam is now. Cool. I moved on. You know, <laughs> like when you get older, you get more curmudgeonly, and you're like, no, leave it alone. Well, I don't think Frank's issue was with the the changing of the Adam itself, but just the, the actual story oh, okay. itself. Okay. Well, he's wrong. Anyway, next up is. Uh, <laughs> well, so you know, he just runs an Adam blog. Exactly. <laughs> next up is Atomic Knight, uh, drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, who first appeared in Strange Adventures number seventeen? Now it's weird because the Atomic, the Atomic Knights was was the team, right. but here it's he's given the, the I guess it's the main guy is given his own listing as he's like, it's you know he's like a singular character, Atomic Knight. <sighs> what's the what's the groaning? I've always despised this character. Why? And it comes solely from the Who's Who entry. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. You ready for this? Because he's riding the cheetah in the background or something. Well, that, that's embarrassing. I mean, it's embarrassing. That's uh, that's honestly that's the emotion that it evokes in me. I look at that, and I'm like, oh, I'm just embarrassed to even see that. That's not a cheetah, dude. That's a that's like a Dalmatian dog. Yeah, I but, know, right? I know. It's okay. the closest thing I could come up with. Yeah, and it, the cost, both costumes just look redunculous. <laughs> they really do. Um, the logo's poor, and Ooh, and, and you ready? You ready for the hate mail? I'm not a big fan of Murphy Anderson. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Nor am I a big fan of Kurt Swan. I'll put both of them under the bus. Oh, well, boy. Yeah, I know. Ooh, I'm asking for hate mail now. Address all hate mail to who's who at Comcast.net, <laughs> an email address that does not currently exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> nor will it. Um, next up is The Atomic Skull, drawn by the aforementioned hated Kurt, uh, Kurt Swan, uh, and inked by Murphy Anderson. So this one's got Chag written all over it. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to get Shag this original piece of artwork for his birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. Just so I can hear him groan all the way down from uh, the Gulf Coast. Um, the thing that bothers me about the Atomic Skull, and I'll say this because I myself am not a big fan of Kurt Swan, is I love the idea of – I love the character name and I like the visual of like a superhero having like a skull face. Like to me that's creepy. But he is given a thoroughly unmysterious costume. <laughs> the, the costume is green and bright yellow with a skull on his on his chest. And to me, it just robs, like, any spookiness the character might have because of the costume. I mean, anybody with a skull face should be emaciated, you know? Yeah, right. And he's he, beefy and, yeah, he's got he's the got thigh the Swan, he's, yeah. yeah, he's got the Kurt Swan barrel chest. Yeah. It's like, you know, George Reeves build. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you know, to be fair, maybe, you know, they weren't trying to go for creepy. But to me, it's like... You've got a character with the name Skull, and he is a skull. Make him creepy looking, and to me, he just looks goofy. But you know, again, what do I know? Um, <laughs> a lot about Aquaman. Apparently. A lot about Aquaman. 
And then our final listing is uh, a character from Omega Men, which was one of my favorite series, Auron. Uh, the Omega Men first appeared in Greenlander number 141, but by this point they had already had their own uh, direct-only uh, series. So Auron is one of the characters. It's drawn by Todd Smith and Rick Magyar, who was, I believe at the time, the current art team on um, Omega Men. It's a it's a nice listing, you know. It doesn't it's not he wasn't one of my favorite Omega Men characters, but it's a you know a perfectly good listing. Looks like Wave Rider and Tachyon to me. <laughs> well, that was later on. I, I don't know anything about Omega Men at all, other than it was out there and it's sort of like who's who is sprinkled with Atari Force and Omega Men characters, which to me was always like oh, those are those other guys that like don't really matter. <laughs> Omega Men was a cool book. I, I will I will stick up for Omega Men. Omega Men was a really cool book, and they had a lot of interesting stuff in there. And, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Omega right, Men right. so much. So you just like didn't saying, know what it was. I just didn't know what it was. Right. And I knew that it very rarely impacted modern, you know, the continuity I was reading. They definitely existed in, like, their own universe. And then they did they yeah. did give the DC Universe Lobo. Right, yes, they did. So. Which was originally, like, a parody of Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I tend to look at them as something we can blame them for and not credit them for, but that's a whole <laughs> other topic. Um, and then the final page of the book is Woo! a neat thing where they would DC would go through and shoot and give you listings as to where you could find most of these characters. Currently, now I mean it wasn't a complete list because they didn't have the space, and obviously some of these characters just weren't appearing anywhere, so they didn't you know they're going to make something up. But you know here it says Abracadabra returns to fight the Flash in issue number three forty eight. Adam Strange will appear in a forthcoming issue of DC Comics Presents. Aquaman appears monthly in Justice League and soon in his own miniseries. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was a kid, this blew my mind because if you see on the, the left hand and right hand side of the page, you see like the top portion of each book's cover, and it shows you the cover logo for the uh. Aquaman miniseries, which to that point had not existed. I did not know about because this is an era, you know, before the internet, if such a thing existed. And um, <laughs> so to me, this was the first time I was seeing Aquaman getting his own book again, which was basically the first new Aquaman series in my lifetime. So, like, that was so exciting. And and to see it, just to get that little glimpse was just like, oh, my God, there's a new Aquaman series there. It's right there. You know, you almost wish you could lift the cover of Arion and look underneath and, and see the rest <laughs> of it. So that was a neat list. That was a neat way of doing it, too. It's it just kind of giving you, like, one last curtain call with these characters and saying, hey, look, we're not just looking back. These characters are also current. You know, they're also appearing in the universe going forward. That was a great marketing tool. I mean, because, you know, there's a number of books that I would see, you know, I'd I'd see back here and go, oh, so-and-so appears in this such a thing, and I'd go seek it out. You know, they made an additional incremental sale because of this single page right here. Yep, 65 cents in the bank. Uh, so uh, that is the first issue of Who's Who, the Defender Directory of the DC Universe, as they pull it here, Volume 1, or Volume I, because they used Roman numerals, very fancy. This is how I learned Roman numerals, was through Who's Who. Thanks, DC. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic. It's completely true. Um, it's all about motivation, why you want to learn. So that's the first issue, and that is basically like our first episode of our uh, of our podcast about Husu. Shag, how do you think it went? Uh, I think it was extraordinarily lengthy. It sure was. <laughs> and there was a whole lot of talky talk, and uh, I thought it was great. I, I, man, I mean, what I'm afraid of is we're going to become more verbose as we go. Hopefully oh, we won't. Lord. Hopefully we won't. You know, I think uh, I think we'll, you know, maybe handle some listener feedback. Oh, God. Let's make the shows even longer. 
here, here's what I'm thinking, folks. I don't think we need to do the typical like listener feedback we do with fire and water. Um, but what I think I would like to see, and I'm springing this on Rob because that's how I roll. I like to spring things on him during the show. I would love for you guys to write in and sort of share your experience with Who's Who. Like how you came to fall in love with Who's Who and what you liked about the series. You don't necessarily have to say, well, I disagree about the, your anthro commentary. You know, more like, you know, I, you fell in love with Who's Who how. And maybe what we'll do is one episode we'll dedicate to listener feedback and we'll share y'all's stories. Or maybe we'll, you know, we'll set aside one portion of a show and do that and rather than, you know, the typical feedback we do. So write in. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Who's Who, what you love about the series. And, you know, sooner or later we'll get around to sharing those. Just like Who's Who eventually had letters. That's right. That's right. Uh, that was a good idea, Shake. Thanks for springing that on me. Um, no problem. So, so, <laughs> All this will be edited out. <laughs> that's right. They'll just be dead silent where this is supposed to go, and then there'll be a song or something. Oh, oh, oh. Speaking of themes, we've got to mention uh, – well, they probably heard it at the beginning. They're going to hear it again at the end again. Uh, special thanks to Daniel Cynical Adams and his band, The Bad Mamma Jammas, for giving us our awesome Who's Who theme. Yeah, Dan and the band stepped in, and uh, I mean the the theme that um, that that exits uh, our, our fire and water show proper is definitely one of the most popular features. People love that song, and so when we decided to do this sort of uh, split off show, we turned to Dan again to do the theme for this show. And it took Shag and I a long time to finally get the Who's Who shows running. <laughs> and, and then it took it took Dan and the band a little while to get the theme because they had some sort of problem with Dan was um, dating this woman named Yoko and they took the band in this whole other direction. And the first theme they sent was very experimental and weird and it was just a bunch of weird ambient noise and we said that wasn't right. But the, she's out of the band now and now they're kind of back to more of their traditional sound. So um, Isn't he dating Christy Brinkley now? Um, <laughs> so. so he's got sort of the Billy Joel – we start the fire sort of thing going yeah, now? Kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay. um, we, we are confident that, um, well, by the time you've gotten to this point in the show, you've already heard the theme, but uh, we were confident that uh, every time you hear it now for all, however many Who's Who episodes we end up doing, like 50 or whatever we plan on doing. Well, once we get done with Who's Who in Star Trek, we're yeah. pretty far along. <laughs> by then, podcasts will not exist and these shows will just be beamed directly into your brains or whatever technology will be running at that point. But, exactly. but we are sure people will still not be sick of the theme because we love it so much. They did they did a <laughs> tremendous job. Well, let's stop talking about it and let's let them listen to it. Yeah, you're going to get to hear it again as it goes out, and we hope you guys enjoy it. And, and my little piece of advice is, uh, yeah, you heard the song in the beginning, uh, but uh, and you're going to hear it again, but stay, stay all the way to the end. That's all I'll say. You're like the movie stinger spoiler guy. <laughs> it's a dude. It was a dude the whole time. No. Um, so. Are you still here? Go home. Go, yeah. The movie's over. <laughs> the movie's over. Podcast is over. So anyway, that ends our first episode of Who's Who, our, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. We hope you all enjoy it. And uh, Shag and I promise to get back to book or volume two uh, as soon as possible. In the meantime, uh, if you guys like what you heard, or even if you didn't, it don't mean so much if you didn't hear it, didn't enjoy it. But if you did <laughs> enjoy it, please um, send us an email at firewaterpodcast.conquest.net, and you can also leave us 
comments on our Twitter feed or Facebook or wherever. Uh, yeah, and, and we're under Aquaman, Aquaman Shrine on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm under Firestorm Fan on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, you can hit our blogs up, firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.com. Till then, folks, uh, well, gosh, I guess we shouldn't use our usual catchphrase, should we? No, we got to come up with something else. <laughs> tell you what, folks, why don't you help us out? Write in, tell us what our catchphrase for who's who should be. Hmm. Until next time, say goodnight, Rob. Good night, Chag, and, uh, and uh, we'll be who's who seeing you. That doesn't make oh, any sense. That doesn't, that, even make, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.